Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for this day. Again, I thank you for the beauty of it. I thank you that you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. I thank you that even though the things that we go through in our circumstances change, car accidents, loss of loved ones, getting married, moving, Father, so many changes all the time, but you don't change. The things that we come to know about you today will not be different tomorrow. Your love is unchanging and constant even when we are, our, our hearts are just being battered from every side. And I pray that you would help us to feel your love now as we look at your word. And I pray that our love would rise and abound. In Jesus' precious name, amen. All right, so this morning we're going to be looking at Philippians chapter 1 again, and we're going to be looking specifically at verses 9 to 11. Philippians 1 verses 9 to 11. But before we look at those verses, I'm just going to review where we were last week. We'll get a running start um, to remind those of us who are here and also bring everybody who wasn't able to be here up to speed. So I'll start by reading the first eight verses that we looked at last week. Philippians 1, verses 1 to 8. Paul and Timothy, servants. Literally, the word here is slaves. So Paul and Timothy, what's the first thing I want you to know about us? We're slaves. We're slaves of Jesus. To all God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you since I have you in my heart. And whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. So we looked at two main things last week. First, we looked at the, the greeting. We tend to skim over greetings sometimes unless it's written to us by someone really special. Like I, I talked last week, the example was uh, the, one of the first letters I got from Holly, I think she called me Dearest, Dearest Joel. And I think I read that. Holly wasn't in here last week, so she didn't hear all my illustrations. I read that greeting many, many times. That means of all the dears, I was the est, right? The dearest. So, so we're supposed to look at this greeting, these first couple verses, and really think about it. It actually had a lot for us to see last week that we looked about. First, that Paul and Timothy and, and all of us are slaves of Jesus. We're slaves of Jesus. He is our master. But we looked last week at how in Philippians chapter 2, the king of all, the master of all, he made himself nothing, taking on, verse 7, the very nature of a slave. So Paul and Timothy, slaves of the king who became a slave for us. 
that we might know him. I mean, it's, it's an amazing reality, and we looked at that. And then we looked at the fact that we're all saints. Grace and peace to the saints who are in Christ Jesus at Philippi. Slaves, so that humbles us, right? Saints, that exalts us and lifts us up. We are God's holy people. And then, grace and peace. We have received grace and peace from who? God our Father. So slaves who are saints who have a Father who gives us grace and peace. All that in this two-verse greeting, introduction. Then we looked at the, the body of the letter, starting with verses 3 to 8. Paul starts off saying, I just am always thanking God for you guys. Joyful thanksgiving in verses 3 to 8. And, and the reason is because they had partnered with him in his work of advancing the gospel, partnering financially, partnering through prayer, partnering by sending him Epaphroditus, this guy from their church to go be with him while he was in jail. Like, he's in jail, so they didn't go, eh, well, let's support a different missionary. This guy is no good anymore. He's chained up. No, they partnered with him from the first day until now, past, present, and, verse 6, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you, he's going to carry it on to completion to the day of Christ Jesus. In other words, they're going to continue to partner. How does he know that? It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I have you in my heart. So he knows it because first he knows them really well. They're on his heart. And whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. So how do I know? Because I know that you've tasted the grace of God. And the grace that you've tasted, you really get the gospel. You know what it means. You don't think you're trying to earn your salvation. You, you grasp the gospel. And because that started in you, I know you're going to finish. Grace always finishes what it starts. Just like God, the God of Genesis 1, finished his work of creation and rested so the God of the new creation will finish his work of new creation in whoever has tasted grace. It, it will not stop midway. It's going to end. And the end is at the day of Christ Jesus, the final day of rest when we enter in the new creation. So that was last week. Now, verses 9 to 11. Paul tells the Philippians what he actually prays to the Lord for them. And he tells what his prayers for them are like. So I'll read it now, starting at verse 9. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ Jesus, being filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus to the glory and praise of God. Here's a one-sentence one summary of this prayer. May your love increase to the glory of God. May your love increase. I want you to love God and love each other more to God's glory and praise. That's the summary of this prayer. So we're going to tackle it, though, in two steps today. First, we're going to look at the main content of the prayer. What's he praying? The main thing he's praying. And then we're going to look at three purposes that God 
that Paul gives for his prayer. Three things. The second thing is the, the three things that he wants to pray for them. So you can summarize the first. What's, what's this prayer all about? He's praying that their love would abound. I want you to have more love. More love, that your love would increase. And then the purposes, ultimately, there's three of them, but they all climax with the last one. I want your love abounding to the glory and praise of God. So we're going to see that this morning in two steps. So first, verse 9, And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and in depth of insight. I want your love to abound. That's point one. When people walk into the midst of the Philippian church, as it's gathered, they come in the doors of the house that they were meeting or wherever they were, Paul wants people to smell love as soon as they walk in the door. He wants them to experience the love that they have for each other and for the Lord and say, man, see how these Christians love one another. See how they love their Savior. That's what he wants people to experience as soon as they walk in the door. It's biblical prayers like that that lead us to say our mission as a church, first and foremost, New Creation Church, is to love Jesus. That's what we want to be all about. Loving Jesus, which then spills over into serving people. Serving people, loving people, as Jesus loved us. First and foremost. Paul doesn't want us or the Philippians or any church to get content with their level of love. Like, I've loved enough for today, so I think I'm just going to hang my hat and go love myself or something. No. Paul wants love to abound more and more. Paul knows that they already have a deep love for the Lord. He details that in his letter. Right? They, they, they love him. They love the Lord. They're partnering with him in the gospel. It's obvious that they are a church filled with love, but he wants it to increase. He's not content with where they are at. He wants them to continue to grow till the day that they stand before the Lord Jesus, holy and blameless before him in love. But, lest we fill the word love with whatever we think love means, Paul clarifies how he wants the Philippians to love each other. And that leads to the second thing under this, the, the content of Paul's prayer. He wants them to abound in love a, a certain way. He wants their love to abound in knowledge and discernment. Have you ever experienced someone trying to do something for you that they thought was loving you, but really only made more work for you in the end? I want to help with the dishes, Mommy. Well, <laughs> that might or may not be helpful, right? And as a parent, it is loving to let our kids help us, okay, to, to help them learn and grow and learn to, learn to serve. But can you imagine um, someone saying, oh, you're building a house on Saturday? I want to come help, except I really believe that straight walls are overrated. It's like, uh, thanks, but no thanks, right? I actually want somebody to work on my house and build my house that actually knows how to build a house, 
You know, you don't want a, a wall like that. So, so they're trying to love you and serve you, but knowing how to do that is, is important. Or how about this? I love you guys so much that I just wanted to get you a new housewarming present, right? I, I just, we just love you guys. Here's, here's a puppy. We bought this puppy. It's purebred. It's just amazing. And, and, and you're like, well, actually, um, we're not allowed to have animals in our house, and uh, we're allergic to animals severely. Oh, but we can't return it. Well, wouldn't a little knowledge of that person and their situation have helped you love them better? Maybe gotten them something different? Knowledge is important when we go to love someone. For love to abound, it requires a knowledge of the people that we're trying to love. If they're going to experience our actions as loving. So knowledge and love go hand in hand. You, you can't, you must not divorce knowledge from love in our relationship with other people and in our relationship with the Lord Jesus. Can you imagine how a dating relationship with a, between a boy and a girl would go if the boyfriend said to the girlfriend, just as she was starting to explain her feelings, like, girl, you just need to stop. I don't want to know you. I don't want to know how you're feeling. I just want to love you. It doesn't, I don't want to know you. I want to love you. Like, wh what does that even mean? No, to love someone means that you desire to know them, to have a relationship with them. Basically, what I'm trying to say, what Paul is saying is that love is relational. True love aims at a relationship. And as the relationship deepens with knowledge of the other person, the love grows. As Christians, our love for God, for the Lord, it's got to flow from a growing relationship with Him. So love for God is fueled by knowing God. And in fact, our love for God must be according to a knowledge of God or we are not loving the one true God, but a God of our own imagining, which is what the Bible calls idolatry. Can you imagine, you know, saying, someone saying, well, I love God. Okay, who is God? Well, I like to view God as an old man upstairs in my house in a rocking chair, just rocking. And uh, he... He hears me whenever I, I talk to him, you know, and he just, he loves me. He's there for me. Like, you don't know my God. I, that God that you love is a God that you made up. That's not the real God. And, and so knowledge of who God is is really, really important. It's not, he's not the man upstairs. He's the triune God, the creator of the whole universe, the God of galaxies, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, eternal, unchangeable in his being and power and holiness and justice and goodness and truth. I mean, these are things we learn about God by knowing God as he's revealed himself to us in his word and through his Son. Knowing God is so important for growing to love God. This is extremely practical for our lives, okay? As we grow in knowing God, our love for God should grow in proportion to that. When we know, when we grow in our knowledge that God is in control of everything, 
that happens to us, even the bad things. And when we know that he is working for our eternal good in everything that we go through, it helps us to have peace in all the fears that we face. Knowing him, truly knowing him, helps us to trust that our Father knows best in what we're going through. And it gives us security. It gives us comfort that he will bring us to the new creation safely after this little blip of life on planet Earth is done. He holds us. He knows how we feel. And so knowing God is a means to trusting God. Knowing that he's in control grows and strengthens our trust. It's like Paul at the end of 2 Timothy. He's at the end of his life. He's in jail, chained to a Roman guard, and he's writing, I fought the good fight. I finished the race. Now there is in store for me a crown of righteousness that the Lord will reward, right? And, and he says at the very end, the Lord will rescue me from every evil deed. You're about to die, Paul. He says, the Lord's going to rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. Paul is 100% confident that even though he's probably going to die at the end of this imprisonment, he will make it safe into the kingdom of God. And that knowledge of God over years of faithfully serving God, that has given him a confidence in the God that he loves and serves. May your love abound more and more in knowing God. When you know that God forgives your sins through Jesus alone, and you really start to grasp that, that he doesn't forgive your sins based on your performance, like he doesn't love you more when you're doing good and love you less when you're doing bad, then it makes you want to run to him when you fail for forgiveness. He forgives me. He loves me. The more you know his forgiveness, the more you'll love him, and the more you'll want to abound in love for others who have hurt you. Your love for God and others abounds the more your heart learns to grasp his love. So love for God only grows, and love for others grows in the, in the soil of knowledge of God and others. That's why prayer and Bible reading talking to God and listening to God's word is so important in our Christian walk, in our Christian life. We grow in knowing the Lord by talking to him and listening to him. And it fuels our love for him. Just like when you want to get to know someone, like a, you, you want to talk with them, right? and ask them questions, and listen to them, and talk with them, that kindles a deeper relationship. So if we ever feel in our lives, man, my love for God feels like it's weakening, a good question to ask ourselves would be, when did I stop listening to God's word? When did I stop talking to him, or at least took my foot off the gas of my life spiritually. Knowing God, listening to him, talking to him, pursuing a relationship with him fuels love and commitment to him and his kingdom. 
And yet Paul says something else here. He wants their love to abound in knowledge, and he wants their love to be discerning as well. The word discerning refers to knowing what is right. For example, our culture tells us that if I love you and you love me and we're consenting adults, then whatever we do together must be right, so long as it remains consensual and nobody gets hurt or nobody thinks they got hurt. That's the air we breathe as a society, and it's becoming increasingly strange to disagree. Really strange. So our culture teaches us that love abounds with consent. You don't even have to know the person. You don't. As long as it's consent, your bodies can experience some form of love. They might not even call it love, but a lot of times they do. Love abounds with consent, but that is not what the Bible teaches. The biblical love t- texts teach that love abounds with discernment as its guide. And discernment for Christians means we learn what God consents to. So discernment is understanding what is right in God's eyes, and discernment trusts that what is right in God's eyes, what God consents to, is what is always best. So our love for God, our love for others, it must be filled with understanding and discernment about what God says is loving and is not loving. What God says is best or is not best. So in knowing the Lord, in knowing his will, we actually grow in discernment as well. So may love abound in knowledge and in all discernment. And now we come to the second main part of Paul's prayer here, his purposes for praying. And he gives three main purposes in verses 10 and 11. And each purpose is building, it's going somewhere to the ultimate purpose that we'll conclude with this morning. So if you want to have a a heading for this section, if you're taking notes, the ultimate purpose of Paul's prayer is that God would get praise through his people that god would be praised through his people so i'll start off reading the verses again so that here's his purpose i want your love to abound more and more through knowledge and depths of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best that's the first purpose you you can know what is best second that you may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, being filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ, third, to the glory and praise of God. So three purpose statements. So first, that you be able to discern what is best. When you abound in love for God, that is a love that's filled with knowledge of God and knowledge of who he is and what he desires for you, discern, able to discern his will, then you're able to discern, the result is that you're able to discern what is best in every course of action. The idea behind the word used for best here is the things that are of most value. Paul unpacks this when he says in Philippians 4 verse 8, finally brothers, whatever And whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. 
the purpose of knowing God and becoming discerning of the will of God is that we would be able to decide what is best for us. Have you ever said, I just need to do what's best for me right now? God wants you to do what's best for you right now as well. That God agrees with that. I, I need to do what's best for me right now. Like, well, sometimes what's best for you is helping others, right? But, but God knows what's best for you. He wants what's best for you, what's eternally best. But how do you and I know what's best for us? Like, I need to know what's best for me right now. But, man, what I feel is best for me can, can change on any given day, right? Or any minute of any day. Like, I get, I'm a, I've had a long day and I'm tired and uh, I'm sitting on the couch and it's nine o'clock at night and Holly's doing the dishes. I feel like what is best for me is to chill. But is that really what is best for me? Not usually. I will feel better if I go up and pursue a relationship with my wife in knowledge. Wanting to talk with her, because usually at that point, let's do the dishes and talk together, right? Let's have a relationship instead of you over there on your computer and me over here doing dishes. What we always feel like is best for us isn't always best. But how do we know what is best? How do we grow in knowing what is best? We don't always know. Sometimes there might be multiple options of good things. We don't always know what is best, but one of the ways we can grow is in knowing the Lord. The more you grow in your knowledge of the Lord, in verse 9, the more you will be able to discern what is best for you, like Paul says in verse 10. Do I watch this movie right now? Do I play this game do I go here? Do I go there? Do I rest? Do I work? Do I serve or do I let others serve me? Do I take this job? Do I take that job? Knowing God more helps us answer these questions and a host of others. Because a growing relationship with him, it will shape our heart. It shapes what our heart loves. It shapes our priorities so that we start to see and love things the way he does. So we learn what's best for us and for others by growing closer to the Lord who always knows what's best. Discerning what is best and pure and good and right. All of this, that's the first purpose that Paul gives for an abounding love that's filled with knowledge of the Lord. And then he says his second purpose. Second, I want you to know what is best and, and the second purpose our growth in love and in knowing the Lord and living the best way, it's headed somewhere. On one day, on the day of Christ, the day he returns, we will be blameless before him. So everything that God intended humanity to be in the Garden of Eden will one day be displayed by God's children when we receive resurrected bodies and inherit the new world that he is going to create when he comes. And so he calls us to live right now in the present like someone who is longing to be blameless on that day, the coming day. And then Paul, in verse 11, he gives a description of what someone who's living with an eye to being blameless on the day of Christ Jesus. Like, I want, 
I want to live now discerning what is best so that I will be blameless on that day, the day Jesus returns. What is that going to look like? Verse 11 at the end, being filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through me working really hard. No. It comes through Jesus Christ. Jesus produces this fruit in us. So I, I want to use kind of a, a, a picture here for us. I, I want you to imagine your life with all its countless and little and big moments. Imagine your life as a glass cup, see-through. Others see through it, but God can see through it completely. He knows everything that fills your life, like everything. He knows the contents of your cup completely, to the bottom. Way better than you do, okay? Because I don't know about you, but I forget stuff. I don't even remember most of the sins that you've done over your life, things wrong. You're not even going to remember. But God remembers. His memory is infinitely better. And, and God's aim in saving you is not that your life abound more and more with the same old patterns of sin and selfishness and darkness and pride. He doesn't want that to fill the cup of your life so that you look through the glass and you see the same old. No. God's aim in saving us, in bringing us to a saving relationship with Jesus, in coming to know him, is that this cup would start to be filled with unbounding love. Love that's growing in knowing him. Growing and discerning what is best. He, he wants the cup to be filled with love. Not just love for him, but love for people made in his image. For others. And one way of talking about it is calling it righteous fruit. Fruit that comes through Jesus Christ. Fruit that he puts there and creates in you by the Spirit of Jesus. So, and this fruit, this cup will be filled completely with righteous fruit when? On the day of Jesus, the day Jesus returns. That's the goal. God's goal is to replace everything sinful in you with the righteous fruit of love for God and love for others. So again, imagine that glass cup okay, of your life, and it's being held up for all heaven and earth to see. I mean, imagine if your life was like a glass house and everything you've ever done, everything you've ever thought was on public display. Terrifying, if we're honest. Like, quickly, all the things we're proud about that we want people to see, like, look how good I was. Like, that's going to be crowded out by all the things that we don't want people to see, at least if you're like me. Like, there, I don't want that. And yet imagine that's the case, because guess what? God does see that. That is happening, even right now. All heaven and earth is witness of our lives. And yet imagine that everything in that cup that's swirling black, things you don't want people to see, everything you've done wrong, nobody can see it anymore. It's covered by Jesus' sacrifice. It's blotted out. It's still there. You still did the things you've done. 
you still sin. It's not like that becomes untrue, but it's not counted against you. And in fact, when you look closer, you start to realize that many of the things that you're like, yeah, I don't want you to see that, but the things you want people to see, the, the things that you thought were righteous fruit, you realize those had to be covered by Jesus' blood as well. Because though I thought they were good at the time, uh, I did them for the wrong reasons. I look at my life, and I think of all the years I used to play piano for Adamsville. And I was playing praise music all right, but I was really pretty excited when people praised me. Like, I wasn't always worshiping Jesus as I was playing at the age of 12 or 13. Some of you were there, you can remember, you may not know that, but I was pretty full of myself. And so that's, that pride, that desire to draw attention to myself with my abilities and, and not point to the Lord, that's covered by the blood of Jesus. And so many other things I thought were righteous, but were done for the praise of man. Jesus paid for those, because that's the kind of fruit that stinks for both you and I. But every time that we were gentle, when someone hurt us badly, we showed them love because we remembered that God loved us despite our sin. That's the kind of thing that God creates in our lives by the Spirit. And it shines through the cup, and it puts God's amazing love on display in our lives. People see it. They see that fruit, and they praise God. Like Jesus says, let your good works, do, um, let your light shine before men, that they may see your good works and not go, wow, you're awesome. No, that's what the Pharisees did when they fasted, when they prayed. They wanted people to see their good works and praise them. No, may they see your good works and may they say, God is amazing. That he did that in your life. Every time that you're patient in the midst of a frustrating circumstance because you're resting in God's control and not in your own ability to control things. That patience will shine through as fruit that God is working, fruit of righteousness that he's working in your life to put his trustworthiness on display. Man, he trusts the Lord. And every time you display joy in your life because of your relationship with the Lord, even when things were going terribly, every song that you sang into the darkness when nobody saw, every desperate cry for Jesus that comes through painful tears, that will shine because the Spirit worked that in you. Every time that you sacrifice your own comfort to love another person, a lot of people sacrificed their Saturday for us yesterday. We're grateful for that. Every time we serve others with joy, because we remember Jesus and how he served us and left heaven to give his life for us, and he did it with joy, that's the type of fruit that will shine. And every time we laid aside our own thoughts and feelings and opinions about something and listened instead to God's word, and we put his wisdom on display, that faith in his word, that will shine. That will put his wisdom 
on display. So Jesus covers over everything in the cup that's sinful, that fills our life, all the fruit of our life that is not bringing praise and glory to God, Jesus covers, he pays for, and everything that is bringing praise and glory to God, Jesus works in us by the Spirit. And Paul's prayer is that it would abound more and more to the day that that cup is completely full of righteous fruit. And that day is not tomorrow unless Jesus returns. It is the day that Jesus returns. So when Jesus comes back, or when we go to be with him. And that leads to the third purpose. We've already talked about it. The third purpose of Paul's prayer, he wants everything to end up bringing praise and glory to God. See that at the end of verse 11? Filled with the fruit of righteousness. Why? So people can say, he's just a really good person. He's just a good guy. No. Filled with the fruit of righteousness to the glory and praise of God. So let's just summarize again. Get a running start. This is everything Paul's shown us in his prayer. He says, God, I want the love of the Philippian church to abound more and more. I want them to love you and love others more today than they did yesterday. And more in 10 years than they did right now. And may it be a love that's filled with knowledge of you, and insight, and understanding into your ways, a knowledgeable love, and a a love that is able to, to know what's best, what's right, what's wrong, what's good, what's evil, what's okay, and what's best for someone or for our lives. And And may it lead them to live a righteous life, a life filled with righteous fruit, so that they put your worth, O God, on display to the glory and praise of God. A life that points to the love of God, to the wisdom of God, to the trustworthiness of God, that he is worth living for and dying for. So, as we conclude that is my prayer for our church that our love for each other as a church that our love for the lord that it would abound more and more that it would grow in knowledge of the lord in getting to know each other better so that we would live the best way god's way and that we would put his worth and his wisdom and his beauty on display in our lives. So that's kind of our goal as we rolled out the plan for community groups. The goal of community groups are to know each other better, to spend time with each other for a little while, asking about how each one of us is doing so that we can know how to love each other better, how to pray for each other better, how to encourage each other better, so that our love for each other would abound more and more. That's what midweek discipleship groups are for. So the community groups are in one week, and then the opposite week are the midweek discipleship groups. And the goal of those is to to grow in our love for God, not that community groups aren't, but especially hearing from the Lord's word together, listening to him, 
talking to him together and hearing and talking to each other. That's the goal of that time, that our love may abound more and more in knowledge and in depth of insight, that we might know the Lord, that we would press on to know the Lord. That's what Sunday mornings are about. We want to look at God's word for 45 minutes together, hearing from him so that we may know him better, know what he expects of us, know what he calls us to, so that we may grow and love for him and learn how to discern what is best, what he wants for us, how he calls us to love so that we might be a people that would put his worth on display for Granville and for the people that we come into contact with around this area. So as a church, my prayer for us is that we would know, that we would press on to know the Lord Jesus. He is worth knowing more truly. He's worth loving more fully. He is worth trusting more completely. He is worth serving more faithfully. He is worthy of everything that we can give and more. And my encouragement to you, read through this prayer this week. Pray it for each other. Oh God, may Carl's love abound more and more in knowledge and in depth of insight so that he would know what's best and that he might be pure and blameless on the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness. I want Carl's life to be like a cup that's being filled with righteous fruit, abounding in love more and more so that he might be pure and blameless on the day of Christ to the glory and praise, not of Carl, but of God. Pray that way for each other. I encourage you. I've been trying to do that the last few weeks. I've been meditating on these verses. These are some of my favorite prayer verses in the whole Bible. Pray big prayers like this. You know, Jacob and Sarah, you just got married. Let's pray for them, that their love for each other would abound more and more in knowledge. They're getting to know each other, right? Better? At a husband and wife level, pray that it would grow. And as they get to know each other better, that it would, they would know the Lord better. And that they would learn about love more and more so that they might be filled in their home and their marriage with righteous fruit. Let's pray, pray this for each other. So that's how I want to close. I want to close by, by praying this prayer over us and over our church. So let's pray. Father, I thank you that you hear us and that you hear me when I pray. And I thank you that you always hear us because of Jesus. So I, I just want to pray right now for our church and for each one here today. Lord, I pray that each one of us and those who can't be here today with us, I pray that their love for you and their love for each other and for this community would abound more and more, would increase. Father, I pray that you would fill this church, New Creation Church, with a radical love for you and for each other. I pray that we would be utterly committed in our hearts and minds to working joyfully for each other's good. Lord, please root out in our lives the things that get in the way, our selfishness, our pride, our fear, our desire to be in control, 
We could go on and on. Lord, I just pray that you would blaze a trail in our hearts for your love to come to us and dwell <laughs> with a growing knowledge of who you are and of what you desire for us. And I pray that we would be a church that would be filled with the fruit of righteousness and that you, O Lord, would get the praise from this church, both now and a hundred years from now. I pray that we would be a, a testimony in this town to what your son Jesus Christ can do in the lives of sinners who turn to him. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.